It's time for Barreled Up by Ball Cap Sports. Here's your, here's your, here's your host, Jim Wiley. Welcome back to the Barreled Up podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Jim Riley. Today, I have a good one for you. We are going into Baltimore to get some context, some thoughts on the situation as it pertains to not just the performance on the field for the Baltimore Orioles, but the situation with the owner. And we're going to have Bobby Trossett along for that. Bobby Trossett from the Vault podcast. Bobby Baltimore, as he is referred to. We're going to get into all of that. But first, I want to remind you, if you haven't yet, to please turn on those automatic downloads. And if you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review. Help us grow this podcast. Without further ado, let's get to my interview with Bobby Trossett from the Vault. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Jim. There's a lot to obviously get to because we have an owner in Baltimore, unlike Steve Bashotti at the Ravens, that is reckless, inconsistent, and um, hyperbolic. So let's it's, dive into it. It's the perfect combination there. I, I feel like we are at a, a point where, and if you've been paying attention to the entire landscape, you know what's going on. There are a handful of Major League Baseball owners that seem to be competing for title of worst owner in the sport. John Fisher with the A's is taking the team out of Oakland. You've got Artie Moreno is now uh, putting on unrevocable waivers, uh, a, a significant percentage of the team. A lot of players that they just acquired at the deadline, essentially waving goodbye to Otani and the Orioles situation. But before we get into that, let's let's start with some of the positive because what's going on off the field, I don't want it to take away from what's happening on the field. And this team last year took a step, surprised a lot of people how good they played last year. And it felt like momentum was building for a really nice 2023. But I think even this, how good they're playing, the fact that they are one of the favorites in the American League this year, seems like they took another giant step forward. Would you agree that the way the Orioles are playing, it's fun, it's exciting, and it's also maybe a little bit unexpected in terms of just how much they're dominating. Oh, there's a reason why, you know, former Oriole just a couple of weeks ago, Manny Machado essentially said this is the fastest rebuild he's ever seen. Mm -hmm. And and I would reiterate that because it's it's come a lot quicker than I think a lot of us expected. You know, to your point, last year was ahead of schedule. If last year was ahead of schedule, this year is just unexpected to the nth degree. So we knew that Mike Elias, the general manager formerly with Houston, was capable and accomplished at, you know, essentially overhauling rosters, building up the farm system, relying on that, being savvy and economical in free agency. And he's done exactly that. You know, I know I was skeptical in the beginning just because, gosh, I mean, he wasn't spending any money. And I'm not saying he spent a ton since then, Jim, but what he's done yeah. is his scouting department hasn't missed. This farm system is absurd, and there's still more guys waiting in the wings that can help out this team either down the stretch or mm -hmm. next year. And at the top mm -hmm. of that list is former, I shouldn't say former, well, yeah, former MLB player, uh, Matt Holiday, his son, Jackson, is a sensation, as you already know. So hopefully that yep. translates for him. But the fact that just last night, we're taping this on what? Wednesday the 30th. Just last night, the team equaled 
last year's win total with 30 games to go. So that just tells you where this group is. They have had some some adversity here in the last week or so with with their all-star closer, Felix Bautista, going down on IL, and they just haven't looked back whatsoever. The pitching rotation has been one that, that's been questioned and doubted all year long, but they continue to bolster this group. And then we know that you know they're, they're young phenoms led by Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman are going to win you games in different ways, you know, week in and week out. So it really is a, a complete roster. I do think that, that the lack of experience plays in this coming postseason from a, rot- mm-hmm. a starting rotation standpoint. But at the end of the day, Mike Elias has built this group into a, a, a team that you, you'd like to think and you have reason to believe is capable of being a juggernaut for years to come. Yeah, the only area of concern, like you mentioned, and I'll echo that, is is, is the pitching, the starting pitching. Um, you have a lot of guys that are going to be reaching new innings pitched max uh, totals this year. So how do some of those pitchers perform with a never-before-inning uh, total? You have the inexperience. You have guys that have not been tested in those moments before. So how do they step up? Because we all know that the postseason is different than the regular season. It's a different animal. Dean Kramer can be dealing right now. Kyle Bradish can be dealing right now. And then they get into October. They get into a tough spot. They're going up against a lineup that is much more challenging than the Rockies or the White Sox. And all of a sudden, things are a little bit tougher. Now, I'm not saying that those pitchers have wilted against tough uh, opposition. They have performed uh, well at times this year, but they've also had their stumbles. So I feel like that is this this team. The lineup is set. The bullpen is solid. Well, I'll, I'll talk about Batista in a minute too. Uh, it's really going to go as far as the starting pitching can carry them. How how do they perform? Um, and Batista going down. The only thing that I worry about, and and you can maybe ease some of the fears here. I, I'll kick it back to you on this one, but. I love that you have Cano that can slide right into that role. I I really don't worry about him in the close role. I feel like he, the performance on the field speaks for itself. And I also feel like he is mentally strong. There's, there's, there's a mental component to closing out games. And I feel like he's got that. Every time he strikes somebody out, he sort of stands there like, I got you, right? He's got that mentality that I think will suit him in the closer role. But I worry about how that then shifts the bullpen to an area where you may be moving guys into high leverage situations that were not there before. And I'm wondering if you can ease my worry about Fujinami uh, or DL Hall. DL Hall has come up. You got a couple appearances out of him. They've been okay, but the track record at the major league level for Hall has not been that great. And Fujinami, the first half of the season was a disaster. So I always worry that if there's a guy that is likely to just explode one day, it is Fujinami. And, and you don't want that circle. You're only going to the circle of trust. That's how I build it when I talk about the bullpen. Who's in the circle of trust? You want as big uh, a circle as possible. Guys that you know you're going to send out there and you don't have to worry about it. If they get roughed up, it's a surprise. Is there anything you can sort of ease my worry about with this bullpen having to shift guys into potentially new spots in a game as far as high leverage goes and things like that? 
Well, I think some of the concerns are valid. You know, after Felix Bautista, there are some questions, but who, you yeah. know, how many teams have a Yanir Cano, to your point, right. that can kind right. of really just seamlessly fill in, yeah. right? Both of these guys are all-stars. Both these guys have high leverage innings under their belts. And Brandon Hyde, and it's funny, as you're as you're talking a second ago, the Orioles are are doing media coverage as we tape this, and there is no update, it looks like, on, on Felix's UCL. Uh, according to Brandon Hyde, he said the Orioles could have an update maybe sometime later this week. So as far as we know right now, they're going to be out, you know, without Felix. And at this point, Jim, why rush him back? You know, so yeah. uh, especially if, if they have, you know, there's a I wouldn't say it's like overly comfortable, but there's a decent cushion over the Rays for the top of the AL East mm -hmm. at two and a half games as we tape this. So, you know, to me, be careful with him because there is not a player on this team not named perhaps Gunnar Henderson and or Adley Rutschman that's going to be more important to this group mm -hmm. down the stretch. So yeah. I think some of your concerns are valid. You know, I look at a guy that has been used in a variety of ways since they demoted him earlier in the year, like Cole Irvin, to be a guy who can use mm -hmm. his experience, his service time as someone who just knows how to be a team player, right? Yeah. Obviously, it didn't work out for him in the beginning of the year. They just recently turned back to to add like a six man starting rotation to get him more involved. But he had since been after being brought back up to the show after kind of getting some some kinks worked out down in AAA. He had been using in relief situations. And so I look at a guy like that to be someone who they can use in a variety of different ways. Should, you know, Bradish, Kramer, Flaherty, Gibson mm -hmm. or Rodriguez not do what they've been doing consistently over the last few weeks. And that is, you know, each you, each you seven, eight innings. I mean, I, I saw right. a stat here from Nathan Ruiz covers the team for the Orioles that I thought is kind of directly related to what we're talking about here. So 16 games since August 12th, this was tweeted last night when Cole Irvin started to give the Orioles a six man rotation, which was, which was August 12th. Like I was just mentioning Baltimore starters have a 3.30 ERA with a 1.047 whip and 11 starts of six innings or more. Kramer, Bradish, mm -hmm. and Rodriguez have a 1.96 ERA in nine starts throughout that span. That tells you right there that that maybe is the answer to your question. I think your concerns yeah. are valid, but if they can keep up this kind of consistency yeah. right on the bump from their starters, then it's not going to magnify what's happened to Felix as much as it could. Right. If you can get six out of your starter, then you only need three out of the bullpen. So that's three or four guys. And when you're in the postseason, it's man up, right? There's no more, oh, I got to keep you for tomorrow. It's we we need to keep playing for tomorrow. So um, it is interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering about a rotation for the postseason, because you've got Gibson, Irvin, Bradish, Flaherty, Rodriguez, and Kramer. You've got the six that are in play there. Um, do I think we got to pick two to remove from the situation uh, for for a uh, for a playoff series? Um, and now, right now, even speaking of the playoffs, the Orioles would get would hold the number one seed in the American League, which would get them a buy, which would be Huge. So I think you need that. Avoid the first round at all costs. I don't care if they're at Camden Yards or not. Get out of that first round if you can. So hold on to the current, you know, the current standing. 
if you're picking four, I think you're picking, you're definitely taking Bradish and Kramer, right? Do, do you feel the need, and this is maybe an innings play, to maybe have Grayson Rodriguez, does he move to the bullpen and you send Jack Flaherty out there maybe on a short leash with Grayson Rodriguez ready to go if you need him? Do you not mess around with that? How would you with this, again, because the lineup's going to hit. They are going to hit. It's really this rotation. How would you build? Because you can take, you can bolster the bullpen with rotation guys. Because if you have six-man rotation, you're not going to carry a six-man rotation in the postseason. Who are the two guys that you would maybe move out of the rotation, either strategically to help the bullpen or just you don't want them to pitch an inning in the postseason as it is, which maybe you don't want Flaherty to even pitch an inning. What What are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, Jack has the experience over a guy like Grayson for sure, yeah. right? So how much does that weigh into the equation in Brandon Hyde's eyes? I, I don't, I don't know yet. Yeah. What I do know is that Grayson is making a case for himself to not just be the back end of the rotation during postseason, but be a key piece of this puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you want to throw him out there? You want to kind of throw him into the fire? If you think you're going to be a juggernaut for years to come, let's get it. Yeah, Flaherty may not be here right? Probably won't be here for the long haul. So, you know, to me, I, I like to, I like from an aggressiveness standpoint, look, they haven't necessarily been aggressive. Like I mentioned earlier on ahead of the deadline and free agency yeah. spending throughout this Michael Elias era. And I'm not questioning that. It's just, that's just how it's been. If you're going to be that way, then ride with your guys that you're investing in. And so the fact that Grayson, since being demoted earlier in the year, He's got eight starts since being called back up from, from AAA Norfolk. Mm -hmm. Over 47 innings, 15 earned runs throughout that time, 41 strikeouts, a 2.83 ERA, a 0 0.99 whip, and an opponent, excuse me, an opponent batting average of 199. That that is demanding yeah. his involvement from a starter standpoint. So it's tough because if if you're asking me to pick between Grayson and Jack, Jack Flaherty, who's got much more experience when it counts, I get that. But what have you done for me lately? Grayson's yeah. done a whole lot. He has. I think Grayson could be a guy that, you know, may, until this recent run that he's been on, I, I, I feel like it would have been simple. Send, send Grayson to the bullpen, limit his innings, let him just fireball for an inning or two in some key spots. But the way he's been going out there, I think you would have to go. You would you would probably move Irvin and Jack to the bullpen and ride with Kramer, Grayson, Bradish, and Gibson. Those those feel like the best four right now. They would give you the best opportunity. And then maybe Jack can give you some good innings out of the pen. So, all right. This Oriole season has been great on the field. We're, we're talking about potentially having the number one spot. We're talking about some pitching that is overperforming what people may have expected. We're talking about great pieces in that lineup. Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, Anthony Santander, who's on fire right now. We've got a great, you know, Mike Elias and, and scouting department built a farm system led by Jackson Holiday and others who I've seen, by the way, in person in Bowie, and he is legit. So, there's a dark cloud, though, and I, I I wanted to spend at least 15 minutes on the good. I don't I didn't want this to be all bad because Orioles fans, that's kind of how it is. There's half of 
half of your experience as a fan is this is great. Look how great this team is. This we have so many good players. It's exciting. But then there's another side of you that is sort of just uh, doom and gloom. We have this this owner, these decisions that are being made. Let's start here. Let's start with the stadium lease situation because this is almost comical that we're in a spot where, for anybody that doesn't know, the Baltimore Orioles do not have a signed agreement with the state for the stadium beyond this current calendar year. And now there are quotes out there from John Angelos uh, and from... Uh, and from the 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 government officials in the state of Maryland, that they're going to work out a deal. And I think we can all agree that that's most likely what's going to happen. But the fact that we're here, right, is kind of concerning. Um, give me your thoughts on this whole stadium situation as it pertains to what he wants. He wants a battery. He wants something like Atlanta has. Is there any room for that? Give me your thoughts on the whole stadium lease situation and, and Angelos as it pertains to that element of this sideshow that we're going through right now. Yeah. Well, he and the John Angelos, Orioles CEO, and the governor of Maryland, Westmore, they took a trip together, to your point, down to Atlanta to check out the battery, which is pretty impressive for those of yeah. you who who maybe have, have checked that out. So, you know, Clearly, there's a blueprint for what he thinks the outside edges of of Camden Yards and and you know that area of Ravens Walk and just that specific spot in the city. He has a vision for what it could be, but there is a space issue for sure. A lot of it has to do with with certain parking permits and and areas that literally are contractually owned by the Ravens. So you can't just start right. building on top of parking lots. But in terms of the lease itself, it's just been a big cluster, you know what, because of the lack. It's just been mixed messaging. Like, do I think that there's going to be something signed before the deadline, December 31st? Yeah, I do. And it sure seems like based on reporting that I've been up to date on through the Baltimore banner here in town, it seems as if that a short-term lease extension isn't going to be required, meaning there will be something put together here in the next few months. But the fact that multiple times, Jim, throughout this magical season where Orioles attendance is up, national buzz is up, national coverage is up, overall interest is up, locally, regionally, nationally. The fact that all that's the case about the on-field product, and yet we're sitting here on August 30th, looking back on what's been really a stain, yeah. <laughs> it's been a major stain on yeah. this season, is why, to me, John Angelos just is so tone deaf, mm -hmm. is so unaware of what his words and his actions mean yeah. that, and we haven't even talked about the Kevin Brown situation from the right. broadcasting standpoint. We'll get to that, right. I'm sure, in a second. But the fact that this he he allows this, right? He goes to the New York Times uh, not a, a short while ago, just within the last 10 days, and mm -hmm. essentially expresses his doubt for being able to pay the Orioles' young core of players that are on their rookie deals, mm -hmm. like Gunner and Adley. Uh, he threatened to raise the price. I'm going to use a quote here. He threatened mm -hmm. to, quote, raise the prices massively at yeah. Camden Yards in order to be able to do that. What kind of message does that send to your fan base? You know, the diehards would say, you know what, I'm going to pay what, regardless. Whatever it is, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we know that however many Camden Yards holds over 40,000, there's only a certain percentage of those people that are diehards. Not everybody's going to do that. So to right. just come out and say that in the middle of the season is, is just mind boggling. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like it was forced out at him. He went no. running to the New York <laughs> Times. He was the one that made this an issue. Then, of course, earlier on in the season, he inexplicably suspends Kevin Brown, who's our play-by-play broadcaster here for Masson, mm-hmm. for essentially just doing a thorough job. I know I'm sure you've covered that. It yep. was about the, their, their struggles against Tampa Bay at the Trop over the years. The most mm-hmm. absurd thing that I've ever seen in, in this business happen. And I wanted to be a play-by-play guy at one point in my career. I can't imagine being as good and as universally respected as a national broadcaster like Kevin Brown is and having to deal with that BS on the, on the regional level, really? Uh, he embarrassed him. Now, now uh, hopefully, it's funny how things work. You know how much it blew up. Hopefully, it'll end up being a good thing for Kevin, right? From like a an overall awareness and brand standpoint because everybody mm-hmm. rallied around the guy. I mean, you had national pe- people that weren't celebrities checking in yeah. on this that didn't don't know a damn about well, baseball. So, he, anyway... It, 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 with that, Angelo sort of poked the bear, poked the broadcasting brotherhood, the broadcasting uh, 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 group. You you had ESPN anchors talking about it. I saw Scott Van Pelt. You had that night, play-by-play broadcasters across the country were bringing it up from the West Coast to the East Coast. Everybody talking about Kevin Brown. Um, the New York Mets broadcast uh, said it best that Angelos draped themselves in embarrassment with how they handled Miller and they're doing, they were doing it again. So let me get back to awesome. That was great. Wasn't it? That was a great quote. Um, So let me get back to the stadium thing. I'll say this about that um, because I think it's fascinating what, what he wants and the fact that he wants a battery type situation around the, I mean, that makes sense, but this just shows how stubborn and I, 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 obviously, he's got to be a smart guy in some facets, right? Um, but uneducated. Like, there's literally nowhere to do it. You talk about there's the Ravens. You, you share that area with the Ravens. You've got highways flying around the stadium. You have uh, you have the area that to do it is Utah Street. But Utah Street is a part of the grounds. Once you get in, once you go through... You're there, so there's, there's just. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna, you're gonna take over pickles? Is there an imminent domain thing that Westmore is gonna do? He's not gonna do that because he's gonna piss off all of the restaurant owners group. So it's an absolute. It is a. It is a uh, just a uneducated move. It is a. It is a foolish move by Angelos to be going through this. And if he doesn't, I'll say this: this Orioles team makes a run. Let's say they find themselves in the World Series. It's going to be brought up. It will be. It will make its way into the Fox broadcast about how this team, when they're at Camden Yards and they have all the aerial shots and they're talking, it will most certainly be, it will make its way to the broadcast that the Orioles do not have a deal to remain. I, I'm almost certain of it. Um, so there's the stadium element to it. That's terrible. And you brought up also in that, piece the quote from angelos about paying players um i've got the quote right here i'm going to read it 
for everybody that's listening. Let's say this is from John Angelos to Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. Let's say we sat down and showed you the financials for the Orioles. You will, which he will never do. Fun to throw that out there. Something you'll never do. You'll quickly see that when people talk about giving this player $200 million and that player $150 million, we would be so financially underwater that you'd have to raise prices massively. Now, that doesn't need to be out there, right? Why is this you talked about? It. He volunteered it. He ran to the New York Times because now what this does is you start looking at the roster. And if you're, I don't know, buying jerseys, buy smart because when you go into that Orioles shop and you see a Mullins jersey and a Santander jersey and a Mountcastle jersey and a Rutschman and a Henderson, you got to start thinking, hmm, which of these guys is going to be around? Because John Angelos basically just informed me that one or two of them is about it. And should I wait for the Jackson holiday Jersey thought thoughts on how this statement and what this means for the future of this franchise, because the beauty is there's a lot of years here. You got early arbitration for a lot of these players. You got pre arbitration for many of them as well. So this is not an imminent thing where the team is going to be torn down. But in four years, this window that should be a decade may start to close. Um, your thoughts on this, this, this financial situation as it as it sort of pertains to the players, the, the players on the field, their contracts, and and what this could, how this could impact the team's window to compete for a World Series for the next ten years. You know, I think it's a good point about the window, right? Because it's not imminent. Mm -hmm. Fans within Birdland won't feel the effects of these comments if they are true, if they are legitimate until years from now. But that's yeah. probably not the point, right? It's more about the philosophy, the strategy, and the overall messaging that's come from the top. Yeah. And I think he does an exceptional job. <laughs> an exceptional job at alienating a part of this fan base, a certain, I would say a hefty percentage of this fan base on a, what seems to be at this point, a monthly basis. So that, that window, if that's the way that this, his strategy is, is going to be employed, then that window is going to close at some point in the next few years. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate because they are built to win. And it's really seems as if the one thing that John has done well is hiring, right? Mike Elias has come in here and done everything that we expected him to do coming off that stint with Houston and building yep. something similar for the, for the Astros, right? Still a juggernaut. Here we are <laughs> years later mm -hmm. in Houston. So John has done that. Uh, but what Mike has gone and done is in his scouting department, his player development group, they just haven't missed. Like I mentioned earlier on, so that almost alleviates some of John Angelos's decisions, some of his blunders, some of his, obviously, these interviews with, with the Times, they just don't help whatsoever. So, yeah, the window is tight, and it makes you think that if he's telling the truth, which I don't know why he would go out and just rile everybody up not to, not to actually follow through with it, then they're going to have to win soon because yeah. that window is not a decade. To your point, it's going to be a three to five year window. Yep. And that puts some pressure on these young Orioles to do something now, because if they're not getting paid in Baltimore, mm -hmm. we know it. 
They're going to get paid elsewhere. Just look at me. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, and Manny's a great transition to the next point. So they had to move on from Manny and get what they could. I think Mike Elias is a smart enough general manager. Mike Elias doesn't want to go down this road. In my opinion, I don't, I think he wants to be able to spend money. He wants to be, he wants, I think, I think Mike Elias is handcuffed almost because I think he's a smart enough GM. Uh, I think he wants to make moves. I think he knows what this, this team could do. Um, he is probably going to have to shift his philosophy. Last last year, I believe it was, we started the offseason, and he gave a quote, something to the effect of it's liftoff from here. And then they went out and signed Kyle Gibson. Uh, so I, I I anticipate he now knows the right. He's he, he probably understands now better than maybe he did at the beginning of last offseason that this team just isn't going to spend money. And the only way to build this team and continue this team is to follow the Rays uh, formula. And that is when players start to make a lot of money, you got to move on from them. You cannot let them go for Which leads me to Anthony Santander is rapidly becoming a, a fan favorite. I think there's a very good chance Anthony Santander might be, might get dealt this offseason because he's going into his final year of arbitration. And you start to think about if you're Michael Elias, now maybe the ownership pulls the plug on this and says no. <clears throat> but if you're Michael Elias and you're trying to keep that farm system full of talent, I think you have to start to look at which players are going to have enough value to bring pieces back. And I put Anthony Santander on the dartboard. And I also put Cedric Mullins on the dartboard as two potential pieces as they start to get towards the end of their arbitration timeline first. These are players. And if those players do get dealt, <clears throat> then I think we start to see that what Angelos gave the New York Times is firm and fair. Because otherwise, I think you would try to get deals done with those players. But... We will see. Do you have any expectations when you think about how they may build this team or moving forward with this understanding? Do you see some maybe surprising trades sending players out creeping up anytime soon? Well, they showed in getting Flaherty this year that they were willing to do something before the deadline, right? And yeah. so they did give up. They did give up a piece or two from the farm system, which I think mm -hmm. a lot of folks were that, that piqued our interest because a, a lot of those guys, they've it's, it's been untouchable. Mm -hmm. Now Jackson holiday is untouchable, yeah. right? Kobe Mayo. He's probably untouchable at this point. There's a list mm -hmm. of guys that I mentioned earlier on, or that I referenced, I didn't mention specific names, but that are going to be, you know, waiting in the wings here. And so yeah. the fact that, that they were willing to give up a, a lesser, you know, prospect to go ahead and acquire Jack Flaherty before the deadline tells me that perhaps next year they're willing to be even more aggressive. I mean, here, the, the thing is, is that it's an embarrassment of riches. So yeah. not everybody is going to be able to stick around. And if you, right. if you do need to go and get that, you know, bona fide, sheer tier one kind of starter who you feel like can be your ace for the next five years, they have the ability to go and get that guy. I mean, there are so many valuable assets to this team right now that aren't even at the big league level. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up Santander, though, because he's somebody that 
they're going to be able to see some value for if, mm -hmm. if they do indeed, you know, want to use him as a potential chip. I mean, this guy is on a tear this year and somehow he's still underrated when you look like around baseball. I mean, yep. this year with the bases loaded, the guy's four for five. I mean, he's with two homers and 15 RBIs. So the, he's, he's clutch. Yeah. He is a, a, a solid, you know, defensive piece for you. He puts the ball in play and he's been mm -hmm. around for a, a while playing good, productive baseball in Baltimore. So it's funny how you can say that he's underrated, but I don't know. I, I think this dude could absolutely be looked at as somebody that, um, you know, can help another team yep. and the, the Orioles could see a potential, you know, solid ROI on. He is, a, he's, I think he's a, um, a definitely an impact bat for some organizations. He could be a game changer. You think about Cleveland. If Cleveland had Santander this season, things may be going differently. Uh, so I think there are some organizations that view him as a game changer and maybe willing to give up. I don't know. At this point, I don't know what the future holds for Shane Bieber, but if you had a healthy Shane Bieber that you were confident in, I have been saying for months that a Santander for Bieber, maybe you need to add some other pieces in, just feels like a fit that both teams both teams win. You get, uh, you get a bona fide top-of-the-rotation arm with Bieber. Again, if he's healthy. If he's not healthy, scratch this out. You don't even think about it. Uh, but maybe the White Sox look at this, and maybe Dylan Cease is on the move. But Dylan Cease hasn't been good this year uh, for the White Sox. So I don't even know if Baltimore fans, you'd even want that. Let's talk about some of the uh, the, the, the expectations, the, the future here. Let's start with the short term, this season. Um, what do you expect from this Orioles team? I think if things play out just right for them, as far as the pitching goes, I think this team can be playing the final games of the season. Now, whether they win those final games, that's, I mean, that, that will be huge, especially if they're going up against Atlanta or the Dodgers. But I think this team, as far as the American League goes, could be playing in the final games of baseball in 2023. I think they're that good. Um, your feelings on where they could go, what what the short-term future this season could look like for the Orioles. Well, obviously they're talented enough to go the distance, you know, into deep into October. I think that because they're so ahead of schedule and they've been so dominant throughout the regular season, I just think that they're going to need a few pieces of adversity to hit them in order to really over the course of the following couple seasons ahead, you know, mm -hmm. have those, those experience boxes checked. Yeah. And I think while doing in order to get there, you're going to have to be faced with, uh, again, some adversity. And I think they max out this season uh, in the ALCS, which would be a phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal accomplishment for a team that is way ahead of schedule. It sends them into really the second full year post rebuild with some, what do you call it? Kind of like some. What's the, what's the phrase that I'm thinking for when you kind of get some experience that you needed, right? You, you got some uh, more vested they, they, hair on your chest. Yeah, there you go. That's a good way. <laughs> yeah, they, and, they, they, and I think maturity. Yeah, and I think that bodes well for them, you know, moving forward. That could be the best possible thing because they're, sure. they're so young and inexperienced mm -hmm. that, you know, now you come back a year later and you're able to, you know, 
just just have that uh, have those moments yeah. underneath you so that you're ready for them a year later. So I think that's what they are right now. And then obviously long term, you know, I think we all agree that they're capable of being, you know, a World Series team if they can win within this window. Because if that mm-hmm. window is as tight as we expect from a financial standpoint, front office wise, then there is going to be a window. Is there a team that you see as, or maybe a couple of teams that you see as the 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 hurdle that they may not be able to get over on in that ALCS? Is it Seattle in that pitching? Is it Houston in that experience? Is it Texas in that lineup going up against this Orioles pitching? Um, is there is there a team in the American League that you see as this will be the hurdle? This 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 is going to be a tough matchup for them. How can you not pick Houston, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like when, you know, in the NBA, you think about all these years that the, the Warriors dynasty has been there. And then just yeah. within the last couple, they haven't necessarily been the top seed. Yeah. And always going into the postseason, you're like, it doesn't even matter what their seeding is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just who, who you know, like even if the Astros end up getting a wild card spot, then they're going to be just as dangerous, if yep. not more, yep. than, yeah, than you- winning the division. It, it'll almost be like they're lying in the weeds. They'll, they will they will sort of have an underdog nature to them. And I think Randy and Rosarena specifically would thrive on that. Go ahead, count 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 against us. Um, I do think the Houston one is is a good one. As far as the long term, certainly there is the year in and year out moving forward. I think we will see them as as World Series contenders with this owner with the Angelos family with John in charge. How long do you think the window is realistically going to be open for? This is a tough question. This is a loaded question, but do you see this team when it's time for Adley to get paid, start to look like a shell of what it used to be? How, How long is this window going? I think it could be a decade if you keep these guys around what do you think in terms of the long-term future with John Angelos? Well, so many factors that go into the window question, as you know, you know, yeah. health and yeah, um, implications and, and different, you know, financial decisions and deadline moves, but health is obviously health. And obviously the front office strategy are probably the two biggest questions. So you'd like to think it's a decade. I just don't have the confidence right now to say that whatsoever. I think I'd be more on the cautious side of things, three to five, yeah. and go from there. You know, yeah. it, it is it is difficult to sustain and, and be consistent to to somehow build, you know, a decade long window, if you will, to be World Series contenders. They are built to be that, yeah, in terms of personnel. But will the guy who is essentially overhead of of personnel will he be willing? to pay personnel and based on a couple weeks ago, which we've already covered, there's mm-hmm. doubts in terms of whether or not that'll come to fruition. And so because of that, and because of how much has to go into a dynasty with Kansas city in the NFL, with the dub nation in the NBA, there's so much that has to go right. Yeah. I'm going to err on the side of caution and go three yeah. to five. Yeah, even when you think you have a decade, you end up with three to five. And then when you think you have three to five, you only really have one to two because things just go sideways uh, in one way or another. Um, this will be interesting to sort of track as we sort of move along. I, I do 
think that the Orioles have a bright future, and Mike Elias may be the sh- the shining light in this whole thing. And you hope he doesn't go anywhere, go somewhere that'll actually allow him to spend money on free agents. If he's out here, I think he's a smart enough baseball man to where he sees the writing on the wall, he can make some moves. Now, the only thing will be, will John Angelos allow him to make those moves? Will he allow uh, Michael Elias to trade Anthony Santander if he can get uh, a top of the rotation pitcher back? Because I think everything runs through Angelos, even... Even trade sign-offs, every the owners, the owners going to have to say. Um, but based on what we're hearing from Angelos lately, I, I don't know if it's going to be a smart say. Um, Bobby, I do appreciate you coming on. I would love for you to again share with everybody that is listening where they can find more of your content, be it on platforms, be it on socials. Where can the listeners find all of your stuff? I appreciate you having me on, Jim. I spent three or four years with the Ravens radio team and about a year and a half ago after doing the pre and post game shows and a number of other things with them in Baltimore, I launched my, my own media business. So essentially I host a co-host, a daily Ravens podcast with Sarah Ellison, who also worked for the organization for over a decade. Uh, we make a good team. She's an awesome partner, daily content, 5 a.m. Eastern. It's called the vault. Wherever you get your shows, daily podcasts covering the Ravens, YouTube, audio only, wherever. On the side of that, I think this is how you probably stumbled across me too. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. It's, it's just the Bobby Trossett YouTube channel. Baltimore Sports and Beyond is the tagline. Orioles, Ravens, everything in between. Looking forward to kind of the crossover period right now. The Orioles are pennant chasing. Ravens are 10 days out from starting their season. So, uh, lots of announcements coming up. We're gonna we have a weekly player show that we're gonna be doing the days after games. Can't quite announce what that who that player is gonna be just yet. We're finishing up some contractual details there, but looking forward to kind of doing something that's very unique. I would say to the non traditional side of media, as you know, uh, you've built yourself quite a following as well. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. You can find me on social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Bobby Baltimore. And uh, again, just wanted to say thanks for reaching out and would love to return the favor at some point down the road. That would be a lot of fun. Um, I, uh, I I appreciate having you on. I appreciate you taking the time out to come in and talk because you give a, a closer to the Orioles perspective. Um, and I think that is important at this time as we see uh, what's, what's going on there with the Orioles and that franchise. That's Bobby Trossett, everybody. Thank you for coming in and spending some time with hear us on the barrel podcast again be sure turn those automatic downloads on and if you have not yet be sure to subscribe rate and review thank you guys for listening and i'll catch you next time